Well, happy Easter. Uh, It has been my great honor to be with you here in New Heights the last 10 months, and I can't communicate my great privilege to be with you today on Easter. Um, Thank you. This last week has been one of those weeks where I watched the weather. Um, I guess it's because it's getting warm enough to plan some outdoor activities like uh, baseball and even swimming at our house. And we have four drivers in our family now. Um, One of them lives most of the time in North Texas. And so the weather there can get pretty nasty pretty quickly. And when it gets bad, we want all four of those cars and covered parking places. And I want my daughter, who lives in North Texas, to get to the basement of her dorm. So I've been watching the weather. I've been watching the radar, wondering this week, especially if conditions were right for a storm. From what I could tell, somewhere in Texas this last week, it rained every day. Which reminded me that somewhere on earth, every day it rains. Because it's built into the system of the planet that we live on. Our planet has vast oceans that are filled with water. And so it rains. Here's what I want you to take in this morning. What I want you to see is that every day, new life And resurrection happens. Every day, resurrection occurs because it's built into the system that we live in. It's built into creation that God deemed good. There is death and there is resurrection. There is darkness and chaos and then there is light and order. In my own flower bed, I've noticed over the course of the last year that there's been a hailstorm. <laughs> there was a hard freeze, but now even without much effort on my part, there is new growth. Even from the dead, dried up clementine tree that I planted last year, there's new growth. I think uh, Jesus' teaching was teaching the same truth to his followers when he said to them, A grain of wheat that falls to the earth and dies will bear much fruit. When I was in seminary, my New Testament professor made certain that we understood that the four different Gospels in the New Testament were four different perspectives. And so we shouldn't expect that those four different Gospels would sync up as historically accurate, that they would be the same. In fact, we should expect that there would be contradictions in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. However, he said, pay particular, pay particular attention when you get to the end of each of those four Gospels, when you get to the crucifixion and the resurrection accounts. In each of those stories, that's where you cover the shortest amount of time in the greatest detail. And it's the place where you will find that the four different Gospels sync up. You will find the greatest similarities in those four different stories. 
The reason is that those writers thought it was especially significant, that the resurrection was especially important to the Christian community because the truth was revealed in the death and resurrection and the word made flesh. When the resurrection was made known, it transformed and it changed the very lives of the people who surrounded Jesus. That's why they wrote it down again and again, and that's why they told the story again and again. It is simply amazing to me that that very story, that very truth, continues to display itself in the lives of people who came after the historical Jesus, who came after Jesus walked on the earth. Even for those of us who live 2,000 years later, when revelation becomes clear, when the revelation of the resurrection becomes clear, it changes lives. It transforms hearts. So I see two different concepts in Luke's story that's found in chapter 24 of Luke that we heard earlier that I want you to hear this morning. I see resurrection in this story, and I see revelation in this story. What I want you to know about resurrection is simply that it happens. You know, make the bumper sticker. Resurrection happens. It just is. Resurrection is. There is nothing that you or I can do to affect resurrection. Resurrection is a part of the very world that we live in, the very soil that we walk on and are buried in. We see it clearly in the Jesus story because the Jesus story is just the shortcut to the truth of our world. Resurrection happens with or without you and me. But revelation, revelation is different. Conditions must be right for revelation to happen. Now, I do believe that we could say that revelation happens everywhere on this or happens somewhere on this earth every day. Because it's prevalent. Revelation occurs on our planet. But we might miss it. Or it might miss us. The Gospels are accounts of the perfect storm. Revelation became clear and it hit hard. And Luke's story in chapter 24 has some suggestions for conditions that might work together to bring about revelation. And I want to point those conditions out to you. The first condition is this. It's risk. Take a risk. The women in this story in chapter 24 of Luke and Peter, they are not risk averse. They, the women step into the tomb. Peter steps into the darkness. Stepping in is the call. When the women step in to the tomb, these two men in dazzling clothes appear. These two angels, these messengers. It's even possible in Luke's account that Luke wants us to see that these two men that step into the tomb are Moses and Elijah that appear at the transfiguration in chapter 9 of Luke. 
Because the descriptive word that is used in chapter 9, the transfiguration, is dazzling. We translate it dazzling. And that word dazzling appears again in chapter 24 of Luke. These two messengers appear in dazzling clothes. And it's as if the message that was true at the transfiguration, that Jesus will bring about a new exodus, is happening now. Happens in chapter 24 of Luke. These two messengers, Moses and Elijah, or angels, They don't show up until the women set foot into the tomb. The messengers don't come to their home. They're not making house calls. They don't meet the women in the market. But instead, when they step into the darkness, they show up. And their appearance gives the women an important piece of information that the Jesus followers need to know. What they say to the women is, you're looking in the wrong spot. Remember what he told you. The disciples would never have received that information if the women hadn't walked into the tomb. Because the disciples are all huddled together afraid, right? At the time that the women step out. I believe that so often in our world, so often in our lives... We have to walk into grief. We have to walk into trouble. We have to walk into what stinks and what is dirty to fully understand with great clarity. We can't be afraid. The resurrection account is a three-day journey. And this isn't unusual in the Bible. The Bible is full of three-day journeys. Now, they're not vacations. (laughs) They are three-day journeys. The earth is created on the third day. When Abraham is afraid that he's going to have to sacrifice his son Isaac, the ram that will save Isaac's life appears on the third day. Joseph's brothers get put into prison, and they are released from captivity on the third day. The Lord appears to the people at Mount Sinai to make a covenant with them on the third day. Israelite spies are told by Rahab to hide from their enemies and that they will be safe on the third day. Esther, Queen Esther, hears that her people will be slaughtered And she goes away to fast and pray, and then on the third day, the king receives her favorably. Pastor John Ortberg writes that this three-day pattern is such a recurring, reoccurring pattern in the Bible, that as people who follow Jesus, we should see it, and we should expect that same pattern to occur in our own lives. On the first day, there is trouble, but on the third day, on the third day, there is deliverance. And here's the thing. The thing is the second day. Guess what happens on the second day? Just more trouble. (laughs) On the second day, it's just a continuation of the first day. When it's Friday 
And when it's Saturday, as far as we know, the answer has not come. Deliverance does not happen. And we're talking about biblical days here, so these aren't 24-hour time periods. Those two days can last a long time. But I believe it is in the risk of hanging out in those difficult situations, hanging out in the trouble, where we get new insight. It makes the difference. Really, it should be no surprise. It should be no surprise that Peter runs to the tomb and steps in. Because he's been coached on this by Jesus himself. You know the story. You know the story from Galilee. Peter is called out onto the sea, out onto the water, to walk on what was perceived by the people at that time to be chaotic and dangerous. That wasn't just a party trick that his rabbi taught him. That was instead a life lesson. Jesus was saying to Peter, take some risks. This is important for you to know. Hang out there with trouble because it will give you a head start. In the trouble, you can receive a blessing. You will receive new revelation. The second thing that I want you to see that makes conditions favorable for revelation is a sense of wonder. I find it twice in the text for today in two different verses. Verse 4 in chapter 24 says that the women are perplexed when they don't find the body. And then at the end of the passage, I think it's in verse 12, Peter walks away from the empty tomb. He's amazed at what has happened. Both of those verses suggest to me that the disciples had a sense of wonder about what was going on. I find it to be true that so often I consider wonder to be a luxury or unnecessary in the world that I live in. But I want you to hear today that wonder is a necessary condition for revelation. Every person who comes to the empty tomb in the Gospels, has already heard what will happen from Jesus. They've already heard from Jesus that he will be crucified and he will rise on the third day. In Luke's Gospel, this happens three different times, he says to his followers. The Son of Man will be handed over. He will be crucified. And then on the third day, he will rise. And yet when they get to the tomb, when these followers of Jesus who know what's going to happen, who have heard from Jesus what's going to happen, they don't get it. It's amazing to me that they don't have it figured out. They don't have all the answers. They stand there perplexed. They stand there amazed. Every one of them, except maybe Judas. It seems to me that Judas had it all figured out. Judas knew all the answers. The Pharisees knew all the answers. Herod had it figured out. But not these followers of Christ. When we walk around with right theology, knowing the exact and only way, we cut out the sense of wonder. We cut out the sense of amazement. 
I've come to appreciate a teacher named uh, Cynthia Bourgeau. She's an Episcopalian priest. And recently I heard her teach this. No one who loves classical music says that Bach got it right. And because Bach got it right, that means that Mozart got it absolutely wrong. Why is it that we think so dualistically about God? Why is it that we think there's an exact right way and an exact wrong way to think about the Christian faith? I believe that it would help us to recover a sense of wonder and an appreciation for good thought and questions that are among us to suspend condemnation and judgment. Alexander Shia, who is a theologian who's come to some, some recent attention and fame, calls this suspending judgment and condemnation one of the eight practices of the faith, one of eight practices that we should all engage in. He calls it learning to let go. And in learning to let go, we live out and we pray this prayer, not my will, Lord, but yours. Not my will, Lord, but yours. And walking around in that prayer, I believe we get a sense of amazement, a sense of prayer, a sense for what God is doing that is beyond what we are doing in our lives. And I, I might add that I believe this is difficult to accomplish when we are engaged in life at a very fast pace, which I often am. Wonder makes, wonder means that I take a walk. Wonder means that I sit outside and look up at the trees and the branches and the clouds. We make time not to implement a hard and fast a plan that God has dictated over our lives, but instead we make time to co-create with God, to seek what God desires for each of us, which I believe is to become fully alive. Well, it's important to me, and I think it's important to Luke as a gospel writer, that risk-taking and wonder-making are both done in the context of community, in relationship. We can't do this stuff alone. We each have a piece of the puzzle of revelation. Walking around alone, our puzzle piece is nothing more than just an odd-shaped little piece of cardboard. But together, when we come together, We get a clear picture. We are the resurrected body of Christ. And true revelation occurs in our midst. This morning, I'm carrying around in my pocket a piece of a puzzle to remind me that what I have alone is really just a quirky piece of knowledge. But when I'm with you, when we're together in expectant community, this quirky piece of knowledge brings a new understanding of new life. It's revelation. But I believe I'm not the only one with a puzzle piece. (laughs) You have one too. 
I wonder what it is. Because I know that whatever it is, it can lead to new understanding for all of us. Would you pray with me? Eternal God, you designed this world and everything in it. You reveal the truth of resurrection, and we want this morning to be renewed by that truth. Would you grant us courage, courage to take risks, risks that honor you? And would you provide for us the space of considering your way? Give us a sense of your great love for us so that our community and our homes would be infused with new life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.